This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Hello, I'm Bobby McCumber and welcome to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Waso Matthews knows what loneliness feels like. She left her home in Rabaul in PNG and moved to regional South Australia in 1987. She didn't see another Papua New Guinean for years. So when seasonal workers later started arriving from her home country, Waso witnessed their struggle and took it upon herself to help them. She continues to support them today as the president of the Motu Koita and Wantox Association in South Australia. Waso, thank you and hello. Hello. <laughs> so lovely to have you here. Now, take me back to when you first left Papua New Guinea. How did you feel leaving home? I first uh, left Papua New Guinea in uh, 1987 uh, from Rabaul, East New Britain province. That's where I grew up. And travelled here with my two oldest daughters. My oldest daughter, Evelyn, she was seven years old, and my youngest daughter, Elaine, was three. We arrived in South Australia uh, and drove up to a place called Crystal Brook. It's about two hours north of the city. Adelaide City. That's where my husband comes from. Ah. And I lived there for uh, oh, my other children. I had three children after that. And so I brought up five children. And we lived there until 2008. Hmm. I moved down to Adelaide. Was it sad for you leaving? wasn't sad. I was uh, one of those uh, people ever since I was young. I uh, worked and lived a life away from my community. So I was used to being away from home. Ever since I was a teenager, I worked at fish and chip shops and wherever there's work. So, and coming to Australia was, uh, was my husband's home. So, and he, and he was uh, everything to me. In our country, when you marry a man, you go with um, to his family. You become part of his family. His home is your home. And that's what I was looking forward to, that I was coming to meet his family and make my home his, you know, at his, in his country. Mm. And a uh, little bit nervous because I grew up on an island. When fishing and swimming and doing all these things, living near the coast. And all of a sudden, I had no idea what Crystal Brook was. One of his workmates told me that uh, Crystal Brook is a small country town, um, a dusty little town, with, and I had, had it in mind, you know, in a country in Western movies. <laughs> uh, the, the people come shopping on horse and cart. <laughs> so, so that was kind of lifestyle I had in mind. This is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be riding horse and cart, going shopping. <laughs> I was so disappointed when I arrived. <laughs> there goes my dream of driving, riding on a horse and cart. <laughs> I looked at my husband and she said, I said, you got roads. You got cars. <laughs> what was it actually like when you did arrive? So there were cars, which was disappointing for you. What was everything else like? Uh, hot and dry. It was February when we arrived. Um, uh yeah, everything from the hilltop all the way because we drove for two hours from Adelaide 
um, airport to Crystal Brook. Everything was dry and brown, and my daughter is sitting in the car, and they looked up, and they said, Daddy, are we going to live in the desert? <laughs> Coming from the tropics and landing, and, and there was flies. Oh, my goodness, never seen so many flies. <laughs> The hand for your face. <laughs> so it, it was become interesting. Yeah. For me, it's like, wow, I'm going to live in this place. It was a challenge, but I was looking forward to it. I'm going to make this place my home. So we, we fitted in well. I was pregnant when I came, pregnant with my third child when I came. So after I had my baby, the Christopher Softball Club, they didn't have a coach. So here's me. I put my hand up and said, don't worry, I'll coach. You can, we can all, you know, I'll, I'm going to play softball too because I used to play softball in PNG. So that's how it all began. Right. I made friends through sports, through church. Yeah, I got involved. I got involved in the community. We become part of the community. Mm. Later, I realized that lots of the older generation, the old men in the town actually went to PNG for war. Once I settled in and I got invited to, you know, birthday parties and that, and the, the, you know, the father-in-laws of the friend that invited me will come up with a little package with the souvenirs they brought back from the war. And because they know that I was from Papua New Guinea, they accepted me. So I think on that, I, I was lucky to actually survive in a small country town, but I feel I contributed a lot to the oh. town too. My children grow up, grew up, uh, played sports. My second oldest daughter got into the athletics and she was like good at athletics. And she actually put Crystal Brook on the map. We travel for regional competitions and all of a sudden people are saying, where the hell is Crystal Brook? <laughs> and, you know, like Crystal Brook, the whole town, they were very supportive of us. I separated from my husband, uh, oh, I can't even think now. My youngest daughter was seven years old. We separated. But I had the town behind me through church and sports. My second daughter got selected to go in the state basketball team, state country. The, the basketball club a uh, committee came and put up a basketball ring in my backyard so my daughter can try. And so I, I was very, very lucky to actually get the support of the community. Uh, I played basketball too, and I also coached the junior basketballs. So we were very much involved in everything in the community. <clears throat> and this is why, like, I'm, I'm hoping that all our Pacific Island people that actually come to Australia can, can get involved in their community, wherever they go, because it becomes your home. You don't feel so homesick because you're involved and you make it your home. As well as getting involved with sport and church, now you also worked as a chef in nursing homes. Yes. What did you love about that job? Uh, well, I when my youngest daughter went to school, started school, I thought, oh, I have to do something like um, so I went to TAFE and did my refreshment course on numeracy literacy. And I have hospitality background work in, from PNG. So I went and did my certificate too in hotel operation. From there, I started doing some voluntary work 
working uh, second-hand shops for Salvation Army and uh, Anglicare and Red Cross. Red Cross actually invited me to go to nursing homes and mm. do hands and shoulder massage, aromatherapy massage at oh. nursing homes. So I went there and read a few books and got the oils and the whole blend and started working. And obviously it was working because one day I got the call from the matron and she said, can you come in for a chat? And I thought, oh, oh what have I done? I said, tell me over the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not coming in if I did something wrong. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 I want you to come for a chat. I said, I know the chat. I said, tell me. And I was not coming in. She said, how would you like to come and work here? I said, but I'm not a carer. I don't, I'm not qualified to work in a nursing home. She said, just come in. She said, I'll put you in the kitchen. Mm. So I went in there and started as a cook. And um, so I went and did my all my training and uh, came down to Adelaide, packed the house, and then um, moved down, moved in with my children and uh, started work. For me, it, it's like they're the family I don't have. All the old people in nursing home become my family. Yeah. I did everything I could to the best of my ability because culturally we believe in when people die, the spirit, you don't know where they go. You know, yeah. And I, I want them to be strong. I want them to feel, you know, they loved and cared for when they're walking that journey. Well, so you mentioned, you know, having your immediate family here, but how long did you go without seeing your extended family or, in fact, anyone from P&G? Uh, uh, when I lived in uh, Crystal Brook for 19, 20 years, I didn't really see any Papua New Guineans. There wasn't many Papua New Guineans at all up there. Right. Even if there wasn't many, uh, any Africans or any Indians or Asians where I lived. So it was just me and uh, there was indigenous family there, which I, I got along well with them. I played and coached softball, and some of the indigenous women played softball, so they we become sisters. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so they were more like a family to me. Um, I think I was missing that, I mean, I'm going to say colour. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're same coloured people. Yeah. And they were there. What did loneliness feel like for you in those early years moving here? Uh, I think I was busy with my children, so my mind was sort of preoccupied. There were moments where I kind of feel, hmm. our, our house was a big um, sort of stone house. I'll sit outside on the veranda and I look and all I could see is this top of the gum tree because there was a creek then from my view was the top of gum tree. And it seems like my home was so far away. Hmm. I couldn't imagine. But the memories of, you know, when you live in a community, comes afternoon. Mothers are cooking and yelling at the kids, go and have it when our kids are still playing. Some getting smacked, <laughs> some getting told off, you know, like time to settle down for the evening. This memory is always with me. And I think that's what got me through. My family would call me and they said, oh, how are you going? And I was tell them, oh, yeah, yeah, we're all good, all good, because I never want them to get up, you know, worry or yeah. sad. Um, so I've always put that brave 
you know, tone and face and whatever and keep going. And, you know, my father, I remember my father saying one day when I was young, never marry a man from far away because when you're in trouble, your home and your family will be so far away. <laughs> so every time things go wrong, I always hear his voice. Then I was like, no, I'm not going to give him the satisfaction <laughs> because he said that. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. I'm going to manage. Yeah, yeah so so went through a lot of very difficult time. Um, but the community was good to me because of what I contributed to the community. There were many houses where I went and sat at the kitchen table and cried. And also... There are many kitchens that I walked in and learned how to make things. So I can, you know, make my own tomato sauce and chutney and pickles. Yeah. <laughs> I make my own kwandong pie. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was, I was, um, I have to turn that sadness into something positive to survive, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of trying to do the same with my people here, learn. You have to learn to survive, learn to create your, your own space where you feel comfortable, what you can do to, to live here because this is your home. Yeah. Sounds like you had some really tough times there. but I, I did, but they'll experience. Yeah. You know, you, you either get tough or you, you lie down and you, you're gone. Mm. You won't survive. Yeah. Yeah. What was your home like to, to grow up in? Uh, my home was full of life, but also at the same time, it was a home of refuge for a lot of people. A lot of, you know, uh, I was very lucky. My father didn't drink or he could have one bottle of beer and he's gone. <laughs> and and my mother was the same. They, I think they pretended they drunk, the two of them, when there's a party, <laughs> we go to a party. And... Um, they weren't big, little nut chewers too. We we were very lucky. We had like we never really went hungry. We had food, and my mother went fishing every day, and you know we always had well rice and fish and vegetable and fish <laughs> for meal. Uh, we also supported a lot of families. Uh, our house was a refuge to a lot of TV situation. So I I grew up in a home like that and I was caring and, and watching everything that was going on. I didn't have a very good my childhood was good We when we left Sipik where I grew up, where I was born we went to Medang for a while I lived there until I started school, I think I was like five five or six and we, we went to Rabaul mm-hmm. where I grew up um, and I had good memories of my childhood but then, come close to teenage years, I didn't have a good relationship with my mother. I was more closer to my dad. Um, and I have to drop out of school and become a surrogate mother to my youngest sister because my mother was very sick and my sister was sick too. So my life kind of, I've, I've sort of sacrificed myself ever since I was young. For you know, I've worked. I, I give my pay packet to my mom so we can feed the family, and um, but it, it never worries me. I've, I've just survive and live and keep moving on. And I think you know sometimes you think, well, maybe that was that's my calling. You won't believe it. I was going to be a nun. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a nun. 
after my first marriage breakdown, I went and said, the bishop, if I could still be a nun. <laughs> what did he say? He sat me down and said, look, you've just gone through a hard time. <laughs> I was so disappointed. Excuse me, must be coming up. I made the wrong choice. <laughs> but I was the oldest daughter, like, in the family. So, you know, you have to do the right thing for your family. It's like, oh, dad, I can't swear. Um, yeah, so, you know, I can sit back and laugh at, at things like that now. But, you know, you know, you it, that's a choice I made. The mm. time and, and I move on and you know my five children my daughters are all grown up and successful in their own work and whatever so there's no regret yeah and and I still reach out and trying to help people and still living my life relationship now I I can achieve more when I'm single on my own. <laughs> Uh, you're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with Waso Matthews from the Motu Koita and Wontox Association in South Australia. Waso, when seasonal workers from Papua New Guinea started arriving, what did you see them struggling with? Uh, everything. They had no idea where they're going. Yeah. They don't, they're not informed of where they're going, what sort of climate they're walking into. What they, I think they, they probably imagine in their mind they're going to be in a city, city area. They arrive, some of them arrive at night time, and there's a big bus waiting for them. They load them on the bus and take them away, more or less. But because all those men that came, they weren't from my province, so I had no idea of how many men was coming. We only just started the organization and no one kind of believed that this group of women can operate an organization. So we weren't irrelevant to them. They didn't care whether we care. We sort of get second-hand information from where they are. But some of the women that was in the committee there, they had they were had, they were relative related to the seasonal workers that came. So they were getting information from them where they are mm. and how many people are there. So we put together care packages and travel to that where, where the, the original area where the farms or the abattoirs mm. uh, where the men were working and um, meet them and. Uh, provide them with whatever they need. Some of them that came in winter. Uh, I think some of the other Pacific Island seasonal workers came more prepared than the Papua New Guineans because they came in winter in t-shirts and shorts and you know they they had no idea where they were going. Now I hear reports from some people back home that returned from, from the um, seasonal work. They're saying that. They just get given plane ticket, fly out, arrive in Brisbane. They got no idea where they go, who's picking them up, no contact, mm. no information of the environment they go into, whether they, you know, no no food, no even nothing to to feed them, to buy food when they're at the airport. What made you want to help them? I think because I've struggled myself. I've been there, the loneliness and homesickness and mm-hmm. and being alone. And I can just imagine them um, coming to a pl- country that you don't know anybody. They've got each other because it's a group of them, but they're all in the same boat. 
and people in the community don't really reach out. And because I lived in a regional area, Crystal Brook is, you know, it's a little country town. So I try to sort of share that that uh, experience and and ideas that you know you you do this, you come to the city and you you shop you know bulk and you take it back because the shops they're expensive. You know, trying to budget and trying to work, um, show them how they can live and and survive during their time here. Yeah. You mentioned care packages and and reaching out and disconnecting with community. Mm. You also started the rugby league team. How much of a difference was that to the community? It's um, it, it's something new. Even our Pacific Island community have never done. Mm. They, they we put what they call uh, Pacifica teams. So uh, for me, I know that this may love rugby. And it's an outlet for them. If we can get them involved in the sports or community uh, activities, they will occupy their time and mind. You know, they're not going to sit there and get depressed or, you know, get homesick and, or turn to alcohol. And, mm. you know, so that, that was my fear of how it could affect them if they don't play sports and they're just sitting at home on the weekend after work. What are they going to do? So, um, Last year, I had a call from the operation manager, NRLSA, asking if PNG could put in a team. Well, last year, the seasonal workers weren't here, so we managed to get six players. <laughs> Myself and this other lady, Kaya Joyce, we ran around to all the marquees of the oppositions and asking if we could borrow players <laughs> and borrow shorts and borrow <laughs> Uh, I was so embarrassed, but I still went through it. After that, we even had the referee come and play for us. <laughs> That's how desperate we were. So, and we couldn't play finals because we only had six players. You have oh. to have at least nine players to, mm. to be able to qualify to play in the finals. So I went and told the, the operation manager after the game that I promised the next day I'm going to come with a full team in full uniform. <laughs> And we did. We went full team with full uniform and we won the cup. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> How many cup day? Now then I realized I could see that now they've got players. Yeah. We need to promote rugby in South Australia. <laughs> so oh. the next step was to get a team together. And we, we have got a team. We become minor premiers. Uh, one of our pl- player in our team got the most uh, highest try scorer. And our coach got the coach of the year. Our team lost in the grand final. But, you know. That's a good effort. And it could be one winner. Look forward to next year. Yeah. <laughs> it, oh. It's an experience for them to play in the grand final. And also, I think it's always nerve-wracking. Yeah. Because they've never, ever dreamt that they would come to Australia, play rugby, and, and achieve what they've achieved. Wow, so you've given them so much. Just how much do these workers rely on you? I think I'm, I'm like a mother, auntie, mother and auntie to all of mm. them. So it reflects on um, even on a rugby field. I don't have a son that's playing rugby, but I'm there on the sideline. Yep. If they first see they're not picking up their game and I start yelling at them, they pick up their game. <laughs> <laughs> and and how many cups did they they came and slept at my house um, after training? They all eat. They all went to bed, get up, have a shower, breakfast. Before we left my house, they said to me, Auntie, we're going to win this game for you. Hmm. And they went out. As soon as they played the first game, they just won. They kept winning until they won the 
up. And for I, I think the, the relationship I form with the seasonal workers, they have a lot of trust in me. They have difficulties at work where they uh, they terminated verbally. They will ring me up straight away and said, "Auntie, I've been terminated." Mm. Oh, the, the three of us are told by the manager we're terminated. And you know, there are times where I sit in the car park and cry how I'm going to deal with this. But I'm a fighter, mm. so I ring up the manager and abuse the manager. <laughs> And oh. and I asked them, have you asked the boys, you got termination letter in your in your hand? And they said, no. I said, don't go anywhere. Stay there. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I've I've I make phone calls and do all this in between my work, and I fight for them, and I'll go on fighting for them. <sighs> Yeah, I, I, I love hearing this and I can absolutely see why you have this connection with all of those seasonal workers that come over here. As you say, you're a single mother of five. How do you find the time and energy to be family to so many people? Well, for me, I, I always say we all have a calling. I was put on this earth to reproduce. <laughs> So I, I reproduced five children for the, for the universe. If I had a life where I had a husband and, and children, I lived my life, I wouldn't be doing this for other people. I think for me, I'm not a person that look for glory or look for acknowledgement. Everything I do, I do it from my heart because I put myself in their shoes. Yeah. I would love for someone to come over and reach out to me and help me if I'm in trouble. And that's what I do to the others because that's what I would like. And I, helping them now, I say to them, when you're here and if you become a resident of Australia, you look out for others. You do to others what I'm doing for you now. Never turn your back on anybody that needs help. Hopefully I, I knock it into them <laughs> and then no. But because of a cultural differences, they, they can't believe it that I'm actually from CPIC. Pacific province, and they're from central province. So our language and culture and everything is so different. They tell their family back home, oh, this Pacific lady, she let us come into her house and we, we eat and we sleep at her house and she's just like a real auntie. <laughs> a real auntie. <laughs> oh, finally, Waso, how important is it to have strong community around you, especially uh, in a new place? Very important mm. for our mental health. And and emotional support. Uh, I didn't have that, but I'm, I'm, I was strong enough to survive. A lot of people, I'm worried about uh, mental health issues, alcohol, drug issues, uh, community um, problem. It can happen very easily. The loneliness will drive people into doing that. I um also work with DCP, representing our community, and um, there are a lot of uh, children that could likely lose, leave their home because of the parents, because of the alcohol problem, and which I'm hoping that it doesn't happen, which what we're working on, uh, DCP put a new policy in, and I was part of the, um, went into how we can put the new policy together for our community that any child that is removed from our 
uh, community will be placed back into the community again, rather than in the mainstream um, things. So there are a lot of things that still need to happen in our community to make it a safer place for the future generation of like our Pacific Island children that are um, will be you know living in Australia, South Australia. But we need the parents to all come step up yeah. and work together as a community to build a stronger community for ourselves. No one's going to make it happen for us. We have to uh, pu- pull together and make it happen. We-, we are not a very big community. That's why everyone needs to work together. I'm one person talking. It takes a lot of energy mm. and time and effort. But, you know, I'll, I'll go on fighting and-, and still try my best to make it happen well you're doing incredible things well so thank you so much for joining me in the studio and supporting the Papua New Guinean community here in South Australia thank you you're welcome thank you that was Wasu Matthews, president of the Motukoita and Wontox Association. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific. I'm Bobby McCumber. And to catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search for ABC Pacific. This story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people.